0: Hey everyone, welcome to Hollywood Breaks. In this episode, we talk about this throwback summer we're having, Jurassic Park, Top Gun, and many other great adventures. And Keith and I kind of compare our movie-going experiences to what we love, what we want to see more of, and what we hope is coming up. So enjoy this episode of Hollywood Breaks. This might be the long-awaited podcast, way, way too much buildup for this moment, but here it is.
1: I saw Top Gun, Maverick. You saw Top Gun, (laughs) I was just gonna say. It's almost as big of a buildup as me seeing (laughs) spider-man (laughs) it's almost although you saw it a lot quicker than i saw spider-man so and uh in this case
0: the movie was postponed by two and a half years before we even had a chance to do it so even greater correct
1: all right well
0: you saw it give me your thoughts so i saw it uh i'm gonna do a little bit of setup because i have a few uh i have a few uh data points here to, to go with oh um but i did see it i saw it with a bunch of teenagers um, so my kids invited some of their friends and we went, ah. um, as well as some um, folks my age. So the teenager's parents were part of that process. So I uh, to go with all them to kind of see it and then get some data. Uh, so I'll just give you my first uncorrupted kind of uh, feelings about it. And maybe uh, it'll, this okay. will spark a conversation because I may might be a little contrarian. Um, I would expect nothing less. <laughs> um so nostalgia on this nostalgia level very well done i felt like i was watching the top gun movie but this is the key moment again and i really felt like i was watching the top gun movie again Uh, all the way down to as you know the shot by shot replica of the original film recreated you know 36 years later i thought at some moment like really
1: are you talking about the opening
0: the opening, the riding of the motorcycle, yeah. the Porsche shop motorcycle. at the end, you know. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. But
0: my biggest, and I'm not going to go with my disappointments first. I'll go with the praises later because I think there's an upside here. Uh, maybe the biggest uh, kind of like letdown is really, truly Great Balls of Fire. Like that's the song that the guy that looks like Goose and acts like Goose and almost has the same name as Goose. He's called Rooster instead. That just in case you don't know this is Goose's son, he's gonna sing the exact song that his dad did. And, and you're like, okay, it's truly this is we, we gotta, we gotta get over this goose thing. And I uh so that was the moment <laughs> I was like, okay, this is gonna get a little bit cheesy. So I thought to myself, well, okay. I hope my kids are enjoying this, because this is um their moment to see Top Gun and get their first kind of reaction to it. Um, most of the teenagers didn't get it. They didn't understand the backstory and they are like, yeah, it's okay. So, uh, I don't know. I, I don't want to make it feel like it's a total letdown and we'll talk about that, but it just does kind of start with, uh, am I popping your bubble here a little bit on you said you Uh, were smiling song to song. No,
1: I mean, here's the thing. Like I get what you're saying. Um, it did, there were beats were very similar. There are a lot of similar beats. You're absolutely right about that. But I didn't, it didn't bother me. It just, it was just, it was, I guess, because there is a laboriousness to sort of the Marvel movies and they're great movies. But at the same time, if you don't really know the backstories on all the characters, you're kind of left out and, there's a lot going on. It's all visual effects, and you know, there's always going to be a semblance of some sort of PC-ness to it because it's Disney and they they want to heel to the toe the line. But for me, it was just like I remember when the opening was starting and I, and the music was the same. I was like, "Are they going to do it? Are they honestly going to do it?" And they did I it. Did and it. I was you like, <laughs> and I I didn't stop smiling the rest of the way. I was like, "Okay, this is kind of awesome." Yeah, I mean it. Listen, I, you know, I understand it from your teen's perspective. I totally get that. Because if you don't know the backstory, you don't know Penny Benjamin, that story, you don't know Rooster and Goose and Great Balls of Fire and Iceman and all that history, then yeah, you're going to be like, why? Why do I care? Right. Because they just this was clearly just a time to like, okay, people love this movie in the 80s. It was cheesy in the 80s. It was not necessarily fantastic filmmaking, although it did start a career of a fantastic filmmaker, rest in peace, mm-hmm. But in Tony Scott, but I understand what you're saying, but you know what, at the end of the day, I just didn't care. Now, like you said, were there are moments that were a little, there were definitely moments that were almost shot for shot of the original, and while I don't have as much issue- uh, Almost,
0: he's just older. It's the same, ja- same bomber jacket, same motorcycle,
1: same song. Same runway, just 36 years older. (laughs) So I don't have as much to do with The Great Balls of Fire because I think Robin, when she was on and we talked about this, Mm. she kind of nailed why that moment probably means more to people than than most, because for a lot of people, when Goose dies in the original is sort of the most impactful part of that movie. Sure. Is when he dies and you know you gotta let him go sir and the whole post goose dead kind of thing get him up flying all that kind of stuff that was an emotional king uh lynch point for a lot of people who love the original so i understand sort of hearkening back because i think there was a sense that rooster was trying to live up to the expectation of his father um you know i know his The Meg Ryan character supposedly didn't want him to fly, that kind of thing. So I understand that. But I I also kind of see it from your point of view, too, that it's a little on the nose, like you couldn't pick like a Green Day song or something. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. But so let's talk about what the movie is, right? Because there is something very exciting
0: about watching really, truly a blockbuster movie. It's doing amazing in the theaters. It's getting great reviews, and is, as it should. And Just past a billion worldwide. Jeez. And it doesn't have a <laughs> yeah. 3D animated monster that has to be involved in it. I mean, it's really true, shot by shot, just an action film. There's its idea of an intense storyline or an overcoming storyline. It's a character-driven, to some degree, character-driven and plot-driven, way more than it is effects-driven. Um, I think there is some visceral parts to it. And I remember the original Top Gun, just that like that visceral want to get inside of a jet and fly um kind of um impulse uh watching the movie. Yep. And I thought this did another great job of, oh yeah, that's a, a glamorous career. It's really great. And I and I think uh maybe for the better, they weren't all hot shotting it. You know, the original film was just like a bunch of people peacocking, right? Just a whole bunch of hot shotters <laughs> trying to out hotshot each other. And there is a, a sense of humility that came in this one and really a humbling, a more humbling kind of approach to what's it take to be a team. So I love that point. Mm-hmm. And then there's just the moment where where Mavic totally uh, tackles Rooster. I love I like when there's that a moment where there's the rescue and he just like tackles him of like what the hell are you doing here? Moment are like, okay, now they're into their own story. I thought that, okay, now they're having their own moment instead of this, you know, what's been hanging over. Then it
1: shifted sort of to something a little more original and got away from sort of the notes of the actual first film. So, yeah, I could see that.
0: So my theory is, is they had to say goodbye to all the old things. They never really resolved some ideas 36 years ago. They had to say goodbye to it. But I have a feeling right. there's going to be some follow-up, right? Because this is Top Gun Maverick, uh, yeah. Top Gun, <laughs> other things, and we are going to launch kind of so a. They're going to be gun Top numbers.
1: Gun three. Yeah. Yes, there's absolutely going to be. And so we had course. to get, we had to like money clear it. the deck of
0: things so that we could start something new. Um, but I kind of say something, and I, I don't, I'm going to guess you had the same uh, show reel that I have. What the
1: heck was that Tom Cruise introduction thing? Did you have that? No. Everyone keeps saying they had that. I did not have that on, but I saw it in IMAX. Oh. So I don't know if it was not shown in IMAX, um, but everyone was telling me about that. And, and I was like, I didn't see an intro. Even
0: crazier, I was at an AMC theater. So right before the movie starts, Nicole Kidman does her whole like, let's return to the theater moment. Oh, that's funny. And I'm looking at Katie like, this is crazy. Like this is Nicole Kidman. And cutting from Nicole Kidman's face, kid you not, the next face you see is Tom Cruise because it's before the credits. And you're like, oh my gosh, I am in 1992. Like there is, it's the same. Is this far and away or what?
1: (laughs) Days of Thunder, what? (laughs) I thought this was, <laughs> it was exactly was not Days of Thunder. Totally, I was like,
0: <laughs> Mike, there could not be any more like we have not left 1992. This is the very decadent society thing, the whole Ross Dutho idea is like we haven't actually left in the last 30 years, have not left or moved, moved beyond some of the cultural things that had, had existed and the evolution and the progress you made into the 1990s. We've really just done one thing found the universe behind all the things that are already created into this moment and so to to have that moment of my god this is almost silly
1: well it's funny that you should bring up ross um because uh he wrote a review of top gun and Uh when i was reading it i thought i thought of you so i'm gonna actually read the 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 chunk of it that i think will sort of then off a conversation. Well, let's, uh, so. let's
0: introduce Rasta to the. Uh, so, Rasta is a LA Times writer. He's a contributor. I mean, I'm sorry, New York Times contributor. New York Times contributor. And he also wrote a book called The Decad- Decadent Society. Very good, well explaining of where we are in society, how we got here, but also just what's not happened, things that were supposed to be true as of 2020 that are not yet true. And kind of, we'll say, like calling it out. Like, don't we want something more? Uh, kind of approach. So that's the reference we're making when we reference him.
1: Yes. So um, he also writes uh, movie reviews for National Review and that's why I came upon this. And so I'll read the um, this one paragraph that I think is spot on with what you're just talking about. Uh, but I come to praise the Top Gun sequel not to bury it. This is a summer blockbuster in the classic style. It's action sequences suitably implausible but still connected to the realities of skin and steel and sky its breezy dialogue and male bonding rituals unburdened by the heaviness of world building. Its plot, a deliberate contrivance, that's you, Tim, that still carries just the right amount of moral and even metaphysical weight. I don't really want to know what Dorian Grayish deal t- keeps Tom Cruise looking ageless, <laughs> especially if it's a deal he made with the Church of Scientology. Oh, shoot. <laughs> but as, oh with the aut- uh, as with the artist, so with this example of his art, Top Gun Maverick is an autumnal story featuring an old fighter jock's last mission. Made in what seems like the autumn autumn of cinema itself. And yet, somehow it feels fresh, youthful, and vigorous. Mm, Yeah. So there you go.
0: I'll say very well articulated uh, how it does feel. There is, um, as I say, there's got to be a throwback. I feel like we are saying goodbye to something. And I think maybe that's uh, what we appreciate. We we did miss 36 years of evolution to get to this goodbye. Um, Yeah. But maybe an appropriate goodbye, it would... It would be heartbreaking to skip all these characters from Ed Harris to Val Kilmer, skip all of them, and just go right into some Marv- Maverick universe or some kind of other story plot. Um, but yeah, yeah, it's inter- interesting. I'll be curious to see where this goes and how does a next generation attach to that as much as mm-hmm. we attach to it? Because there was something about... And this is, speaks heavily to the idea of what the blockbuster was. The, the, what we witnessed on screen is the sense of what a blockbuster movie felt like of the 80s and 90s and early 2000s that kind of dominated the entire theatrical experience. And honestly, for our entire generation, we're so used to blockbusters. It's nice to see one again. It's nice to be pulled into it and be part of um, an experience that you could relate um, but I also feel like, you know, as we know, the blockbuster is dead. It doesn't happen anymore. We're moving, we're moving I was on. Say. Yeah. <laughs> and so there is almost like maybe a feeling of maybe I just saw my last blockbuster movie because here's the other thing, not just a few days later in father's day, I saw the Jurassic park, uh, remake, or, I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Latest episode. No, no, no.
1: <laughs> yeah. Latest episode. And there you go. It
0: did not, it did not do it. That was, it it was silly. Even all the way down to the barbersome can being lost at the end or what have you, like, uh, again, almost shot-by-shot recreation. Old actors uh, reviving their roles and trying to make them relevant. There was something cool about the two storylines coming together at some moment that I appreciated. Um, But I didn't feel like I was watching the end of a blockbuster. I felt like I was watching the end of a very long television series that... um, yeah, like I'm like okay, this is this is the moment where you know the the couple has to have kids in order to keep the storyline going. Uh, I felt like yeah. Jurassic Park's done that. I was like, okay, we have to you know, invent ways to keep a storyline going. Um, yeah. So I I know with certainty, um, the conviction gets stronger and stronger. The blockbuster is over. We're entering a new phase of storytelling, something more mm-hmm. ingenious. Sure, I think it's going to be based on the back of this universe building, but I don't know if we yet have the format that's going to. To last for 30 years, I think we just have an evolutionary moment through this world building. Um, and we'll see, but it was great to see it, it's great to kind of relive it. And I appreciate Rasta Thoreau's take on it, that's really awesome.
1: Yeah, I thought you'd like that. We're definitely gonna get another one, I'm sure. I mean, this movie has just crossed a billion dollars and it just made it just went toe to toe with Elvis for the number one movie this past weekend. And it's in like I a fifth or sixth week of release, something crazy. So, this movie is just gonna keep chugging. Um, and you, someone did ask Jerry Bruckheimer if they're going to make another one. He said, Well, we're just going to take a breather. So there's no like guarantees. It's, I'm sure there's going to be another one. At a billion um, dollars, you're going to
0: make another one. At a billion <laughs> yeah.
1: dollars, you better believe that they're going to make another
0: one. By the way, did you notice it was Simpson Bruckheimer? I mean they brought Don Simpson back from the dead
1: in order to do Oh yeah, well, because he produced he produced he produced the original with Jerry Brockheimer. That's why he did that. I think it was sort of a call out. Yeah. Sort of in a uh, in memoriam for Don Simpson because he and Jerry made the original.
0: Yeah, I thought that was brilliant.
1: So that, was- that was
0: such a little yeah. nuance. And uh yep. and the title sequence was they did something uh, kind of a revolutionary title sequence where it wasn't just like the Tom Cruise title sequence. I almost felt like I, at one point I thought like, was Tom's name even in this thing? I was waiting for the big hit. And I thought they were respectfully trying to kind of put the right place. Right place.
1: Well, they were trying to, re- they were ba- more or less re- reimagining the first one. Yeah. Like, well, not even reimagining. they just basically ripped it. <laughs> for lack of a better term. Uh, because it really was just, Almost shot for shot, the original, down to the music and everything,
0: obviously working. And uh, isn't it interesting that we're hitting a billion dollars now with this kind of throw black, throwback blockbuster idea in the same, within the same time period that Netflix is just falling apart? I mean, we're the two, <laughs> the two things are going to yeah. be market forces that are going to create some kind of new right. moment because you, when what where are the golden days of content as that we've been calling it for the last fifteen years or ten years, whatever it is that Netflix would make anybody for anybody at any price and just get it out there Cle- clearly is taking a back seat and this one crafted story held back i guess now for good reason i've been trashing that and i stand corrected held back for a very good reason <laughs> makes it yeah that was a good move <laughs> yeah makes a billion dollars in the and blo- the in the theater we're seeing we these two are going these two things are going to give birth to a, a new child
1: right Obviously the news out of Netflix last Friday was they, they laid off the, the initial rumors were they were going to do another round of 150, which they had just previously done a couple of weeks prior. They ended up laying off double that almost 300. So 450 total in the last month or so. Um, deadline, I can't believe this. Deadline or Matt Bellani He had a really good rundown in terms of, it actually looks like they've let go almost, almost a fa- over a thousand people in the last year alone so it's a lot more than you know they're piecemealing it obviously so it doesn't look like oh crap we're bleeding money we have to let go of the staff that we're paying an godly amount of money to. um yeah i mean i think you're, it's a great point in terms of you see netflix sort of sort of taking a little dip and then theaters are sort of all of a sudden creeping up where we've got like this past weekend you got elvis you've got top gun and jurassic world all doing well and then you have uh, the next Minions movie coming down the pike, which is probably going to do pretty well with families. So it feels like we're in this weird moment where everyone thought streaming was the future, and now we're sort of shifting a little bit back into theaters, and then Thor's also coming out, I think, in the next couple weeks as well. So there's just... It's a, it's an interesting shift in dynamic. Now, I have to qualify that by saying this doesn't mean that Netflix is toast. Like I think a lot of people are writing Netflix off. They're obviously still dominant. They're still making money. It's just they cannot spend like the drunken sailors they were the last few years. And it's going to be somewhat of a wake-up call for the other streamers who just sort of dove headfirst in. It's like, we're just going to do what Netflix is doing. And now all of a sudden, like, oh, wait, maybe we don't want to do that. We need to sort of figure out how best to attack this and not just follow the Netflix model.
0: I feel right now for the young filmmaker, imagine being a person that your career has only been in the last 10 years. And really, truly, you might have heard this, but it has been easy money. It's been easy easy road. You can try some things out. There's been OTT platforms willing to experiment with you. You know, the last couple of years, you can see, even see as a hiccup, but this is gonna be a major disruption in the economy that was buying those, that content. And it won't be as easy to come by. Maybe Amazon will evolve. As we've no- noticed before, Amazon has a different type of strength than the other OTT platforms. And Disney has going to kind of keep its pedestal going as that on-brand uh, uh, content platform. Apple, they'll make something every once in a while. But with Netflix kind of getting off their buying streak, which is that weird you know, economic issue of trying to outspend the viewer's consumption rate, which they just can never get there. Netflix has to ask and OTT platforms have to ask, how do we keep up with the consumption rate that people are interested in? And now even more like, are the viewing habits changing? Did, did the disruption actually create a different desire to, to consume content in an older form or, to, you know, more, or what the word would be traditional form? Um, or is it just like a, a little little hiccup? But if I, was a, if I was a filmmaker just for the last 10 years with no other reference of a, what a transition feels like, this is that transition. This is the one where your world's gonna shift And you don't know what's coming and you don't have a reference of what it means to survive from one transition to the next.
1: Yeah, I think we're going to see a little bit of a shift, I think, with inflation starting to hit everybody's wallets a little bit more. There's going to be more of a conversation in terms of, do I need five streaming services? And there's been all kinds of research saying that like three to five is the max any one family wants to have. But obviously with gas going up and prices going up everywhere and there's no real sign that it's going to slow down. I think that is probably going to affect the bottom line. Um, There was an article in the Hollywood Reporter this morning about how a lot of LA productions are looking to trim their costs because of inflation. So that's obviously another factor. Um, So I think this is going to be a little bit of a bumpy ride. Um, You also, I should add, there's a writer's contract that comes up, I think, in 2020 three, towards the beginning of 2023. So that's another issue that's going to be bearing down on the industry. So there's a lot of factors that are playing in here. And I think, yes, Netflix did spend like drunken sailors. And I think most of the smart people saw that this was not going to continue forever. those being like entertainment strategy guy and Richard Rushfield were all like, this is just silly. This can't go on forever. And I think. The fact that it hit them so hard and fast was, I think, a little bit of a shocker to a lot of people, but it's a reset that was 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 inevitable. And now it's just a matter of how that sort of affects downstream planning. You already see it a little bit with David Zasloff basically saying, we're not focused on quality, our quantity, we're focused on quality. Um, this head, a new head of Hulu also said the same thing, or the new head of Peacock, I should say also said the same thing, like we're not focused on quantity anymore. So it's not like just churning out content. It's making sure it's good enough to get eyeballs. And I think what the top gun of it all has shown us is that if it's something that really appeals and it feels, to use Robin's adage, if it feels like an event to somebody, they'll go and see it. It's just a matter of whether or not you scale it enough to an event to make it worthwhile for the bottom line. Because if it's not an event for somebody, it's an event for nobody, and that's where Netflix has always struggled because all of their stuff they they don't have enough time to make it an event because they just throw stuff up there, and to your point, Tim, that you often make, the quality is not always great. You can tell it's a Netflix movie. you watch it and you're like, Ugh. like you could just tell that they they cut costs it has post. a flavor
0: like how BBC has a
1: flavor to it, or you know p b s yeah, has a, like that's a great has point, a kind yes. of
0: flavor to it, and this has a Netflix flavor to it, yeah."
1: Yes, yes. And I think that is something that is going to have to be addressed. And I think the streamers are all stepping back and being like, "Okay, now we need to really kind of take it slow and figure out what works. And just maybe the level, the number of shows on the platform aren't necessarily a big deal, but that is always sort of the easy way for all the CEOs to say, well, look how much money we're spending on content. So if you've got someone like a Bob Chapek who comes out and says, I'm going to hit 250 million subscribers by this date or this year, and that looks like those numbers that he threw out at the last earnings call, look like it's going to be a, a bit tough to hold, especially because they lost cricket in India, which we won't go into that, but <laughs> like, that's a rabbit hole. So we'll just avoid that one, but it's going to hurt them when it comes down to the subscribers. And that's where sort of, it's going to be tough for a lot of these heads to sort of weigh that balance of like, well, I need to keep my subscriber numbers growing to keep my investors happy. But at the same time, I can't just keep throwing content and spending because it's not going to, it's not necessarily going to attract the subscribers.
0: So what's interesting is, and I didn't know the the um, expiration of the, the writer's deadline is coming so soon. I mean, it's next year, but it's coming soon. What happens in an economy is an event like that um, could create an invisible barrier of really the the end of a certain content phase. Because right now studios will go and consume a bunch of writer scripts. They'll just buy the heck out of scripts knowing that there's a possible strike happening uh, or possible slowdown at least if we don't have a resolution in 12 months for the writer's area. And we know for certain the last time the writers had a major short strike, the entertainment evolves. I mean, we get into kind of different types of, yeah. of consumption and need and, and uh, productivity. So really big, interesting, like we're coming back to the theaters, a new, a new push is going to happen in the next 12 months. And then we're going to have another disruption or possible disruption, or I don't even know it's anticipated, but it often seems to, to at least create some tension in Hollywood when the writers uh, renegotiate their contract. Um, that's pretty interesting. You know, the, there is something of a desire, I think, to connect with the content that's out there and You know, it's played itself out maybe too much with Jurassic Park. I think, again, Top Gun, we're we're kind of arguing, like, did they find the right nature and nurture to it? Avatar saw the promo for that. I think my kids might be more confused with Avatar than they were with Top Gun, (laughs) because I don't know if my kids are almost too young to even remember to know what that is, unless I've secondarily Mm -hmm. introduced it to them, in which case they've seen on TV where it was such a theatrical event. to originally to have to only introduction in television or cartoon uh, you know it might not feel as as big of a moment for them um but you know the what Baz Luhrmann did with Elvis is so interesting there's there's this thought process of like you know the generation that's consuming this movie or possibly consuming this movie they don't even know who Elvis is as a per- Elvis wasn't alive at all in their lifetime and so they're being introduced to like in a way, historical fiction, another character mm-hmm. about a time and place. Um, so there's, there's, uh, I think there's a, something of an artistic quality that's being seen. Love Baslerman, love what he does in picture and how he tells a story, and to have some kind of now uh, opportunity and acceptance of that, um, I think that's exciting. That's my next thing to go see in that theater is Elvis.
1: Yeah, I mean it. It they were kind of lowballing it a little bit, um, but um, if you look at how it did, it actually ended up number one, it edged out top gun, which I think made a little 30 and change and Elvis was 31. Um, you know, the demos are, are definitely skewing older, but there's, there was a, there was a a touch of younger set that showed up and that may be due to Austin Butler, who's the star who plays Elvis. And he kind of grew up in the teeny bopper teen Disney area. So I think there's some, there's some draw to that. Um, but if you look at the comps of some of Boz Luhrmann's previous movies, this is all within range of that. Um, so it looks like it could be good. Um, I didn't see the cinema score yet, so I don't know if it was in the A or A-plus territory, which usually signifies a, a, good, a good run. Um, so if they're up in that range, then great. Um, then I think they're going to be in pretty good shape um, because word of mouth will probably be on the positive side. Uh, but it, it will be interesting to see. But again, I think... Another aspect of this that's very interesting is that just another older skewing movie that did well, that did fairly well, that I think that we can put to rest this whole, well, well, older people come back to the movies because of COVID? I think we can just put that whole myth to rest. I think they will come back again if it feels like an event to them. It's something they want to see. They will come to theater. Um, and I think that, that the last few weeks have shown us that. And I think that in and out of itself is sort of a nice postscript to the whole madness of the last two years that movie going is recovering. Um, is it recovering at a pace we'd like to see? No. Have the exhibitors made enough changes to the experience? No, but it is at least somewhat recovering. So that's, you know, you got to take the positives where you can get them.
0: <laughs> I, uh, okay. Uh, we can wrap up with this kind of thought too. So I saw, um, Jurassic park in a theater at the mall of America so I was happen to be in, in Minneapolis area. So I went to the Mall America thinking this is going to be great. great, nice. like awesome theatrical experience, just huge mall. Of course, they're going to have a great theater. Um, and <laughs> dude, I was thinking of you so much. Like even though it was <laughs> like this idea of a luxury theater, um, it had not bounced back. So in, you know, luxury theater kind of meaning that where you could order food at your seats and take in drinks and they'll serve alcohol and the seats recline and what have you. My seat was broken. The, uh, the, table, the, the the decadence table didn't really move. They only served sugar. There was no real, real thing. Oh, and maybe a pretzel. And I was like, wow, this, we have to ask a question. If we can't, if this kind of more luxury experience is not going to return, or if it's not going to hit the levels before, and that was supposed to be what separates you from going to having it in your living room. The, ex- the exhibitors have to be um, thinking something different because sticking to the floor you know, that, you know whatever that situation was in Kansas City when I started. Sorry, I ruined it for you, Tim. Uh, I'm man, sorry you're about just... that. Because <laughs> you know, when you're in LA, you're very, very spoiled with what it means.
1: You're spoiled. Yes, I I realized that when I moved back here to the Philadelphia area. How spoiled I was being in LA. Yeah. Just the the the, the quality of the theater, just the options that you had. I mean, here it's like I have to drive thirty like twenty minutes just to get to a decent theater. Um, which is just ridiculous, yeah. but it's not a bad theater. I mean, I, the IMAX theater I went to was really nice. I mean, you know, was it great? No, but it was clean. But it's just you know, uh, I I just they're they're so missing the boat on this one that it, it's beyond frustrating, and I don't know if they're ever going to realize it. But we can keep hoping, right? <laughs>
0: So that's got to be our next our next agenda items. It has to be about the exhibitors. We should be asking more and pushing more and figure out what what the exhibitor poll is going to be. Yeah, because that's going to be for part of this new storytelling process we're up against. Well, I'm so glad to finally see the movie and have a comparative experience with the rest of the planet. Because clearly, I was falling behind. If I, if they're at a billion yeah, dollars are. and they got my ten dollars <laughs> just a week ago, they clearly have a, a better clearance house and than I would been able to do, but I'm glad to see it. And I do think it's interesting. What's gonna, what this means, especially with the kind of clash and comparative to what's happening with Netflix right now and have this, this big theater push. Um, So kudos to the Top Gun crew, the people that pulled it off and the smart strategic decisions to hold it back and make it happen.
1: And it's going to be in the theaters. I, th- I think Tom had a, I can't remember how long, well, they're going to keep in the theaters forever. Cause it's still making money, but he resisted that 45-day window, which was what all the other studios were doing in terms of shoving it on their streaming services, but he's like, nope, 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 we're not doing that, and it's paying off, so kudos to everybody at Paramount for you know, not fighting that too much and going along, and it's paying off very well for them right now. Yeah, so. very
0: cool. Well, good to see you, my friend. You have a wonderful week. Likewise. I'm heading back from you New too. York to home, so you'll see my usual, finally get back to my usual background. Uh, Your usual background next week? All right, cool. My (laughs) camera setups and lights set up, So I'll be glad to just like sit down at a desk
1: and have it all there instead of having to bring it on the road. Take 20 minutes to set up? Yeah, that'd be nice. Hey, we haven't done this for a while,
0: but I do want to thank Michelle and Lydia and Connor and our co-social team that kind of keep us going. Woo! Um, I think you guys are doing an amazing job, especially on the road. So thanks for your patience, jumping around. You're Here, here. Filling in all the seats that you need to. And you must subscribe to Keith's Newsletter. That's where our brain <laughs> trust comes from. So please, if you have not had a taste of the Founders Brew, make sure you go to the Founders Brew website, become a subscriber to Keith's newsletter, get involved in what's going on in Founders Brew. Keith, I love your newsletter. I like. I have so thankful I get it every week. And yes, can they
1: on. can find it. I'll, I'll just do a plug. You can find it on. You can go to my website and subscribe. Visioncraftbrew.com. Uh, you can go to Substack and find it looking under the Founder Founders Brew. You can also go to my instagram hollywood breaks underscore keith and there's a link to subscribe there as well so several options and also if you go to hollywood breaks instagram there is a, a link chain there that will drive you to the founders brew subscription so several options to find and subscribe and we haven't done
0: enough <laughs> business i just asked this if you enjoyed this podcast you like what you hear please subscribe whatever platform you're listening on it does make a huge difference Helps us keep going. We're we're approaching 100 episodes together, Keith. This is crazy. We're hitting this milestone here. This is really fun to be hitting there. Ah! And we want people to stay involved, to keep us involved, and keep us going. So all these things keep us going. Thank you for being part of our audience, our listeners. Keith, I appreciate you.
1: Appreciate the whole team. And we'll see you next week. Likewise, Tim. See you next week.